Hey everybody, welcome to the Mench Warmers. I'm Gabe and this is Jamie. How's it going there? We're here to talk about Jews and sports. Uh, this is our first episode. Our plan is to discuss the whole world of professional, amateur, historical sports and their relation to the Jewish people, both Jewish athletes, uh, Jewish sports people, managers, coaches of all kinds. Uh, we're brought to you today by the CJN Podcast Network. Traditionally, uh, Jews in sports tended to be towards the team doctor or perhaps psychologist, but today we're talking, going a little deeper, talking about the athletes, the story makers, and those who move the chains. Well, speaking of, let's talk about one of the great modern Jewish athletes uh, of recent years. I'm talking about the person who is the first Jewish Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I'm talking about a member of the, I'm sure by all, hated New England Patriots. I'm talking about uh, a real mensch himself, Julian Edelman. Now, uh, Edelman, is, as, as we talked about, is, is of course Jewish and his first Jew to win the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I know it's March, but we're still going to talk about the NFL because it's very dominant right now. 12 months a year cycle. That's right. So as, as we get into the free agency and, and to the draft, uh, I think it's worth having a quick chat about the most prominent Jewish athlete in the NFL today. Julian Edelman's actually an interesting story. Uh, several years ago, he publicly denied being Jewish and now wears an Israel pin on his uniform and uh, has visited the Holy Land and uh, celebrates Jewish holidays on social media with quite great pride. You know, it's interesting because especially in the NFL, probably more than any other sport, the Christianity, the religiosity of the athletes really comes through. There's a lot of faith in God and, and uh, reverence to God, but from a lot of athletes, uh, understandably enough. Uh, for example, when the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Patriots last year, there was a lot of focus on Nick Foles and uh, uh, the degree to which he's a Christian, embraces Christian values, thinks about that as, as part of the reason why he wins. Uh, but we don't hear a lot about the Jewish parts of the teams, whether it's more often than not the owners, uh, <laughs> sometimes the coaches, training staff, certainly, and things like that. So Edelman is a, you know, sort of a gregarious figure, larger than life, a slot receiver who, who plays above his size. With a very big beard and expressive eyes running around in the play, yelling, jumping up and down. But we don't hear a lot about who he is as a person. And I think there's an assumption that uh, the players on the team, if they're Americans, are, are Christians just like everybody else and that they probably have a, you know, participate in a team prayer. So uh, Edelman's actually in the past been asked what's a Christian thing he does before games and his reply was, well, I'm Jewish, which uh, most people didn't know at the time. And ever since that interview, he sort of doubled down on the public figure of his Judaism. Now, I think that raises an interesting point of why he was sort of uh, not in the closet, but, you know, not necessarily embracing that part of his life. I in think the shtetl. Right. <laughs> I think for a lot of athletes, uh, it's easier to uh, allow themselves to be presumed to be within the norm of whatever it is. I mean, we've certainly seen that in the last many years with uh, homosexuality in sports and the fact that still to date, there's really no out professional athlete in one of the big four sports. Jason Collins aside, uh, you know, he was later in his career when he came out just by the nature of the amount of people who are involved, obviously there are plenty of gay athletes and there's probably athletes who are known to be out within their team or within their sport, uh, but they're not public about it. And for good reason, because it might affect the way they get sponsorships, the way they get uh, drafted onto a team. We saw that a few years ago with Michael Sam. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that there's something that's similar that happened a long time ago with Jews. That was oh, yeah. certainly the case in the uh, 20s and 30s in baseball, 
there were plenty of Jews who there are Hank's Greenberg and so on. Well, Hank, I think actually embraced it. He was he of did. a different era where, where it was more easily embraced, but we're talking about guys like, you know, from before a time that we even have a concept about like lip Pike or something like right. that, who probably didn't make a big deal out of the fact they were Jewish or it was just assumed that they were assimilated. Now I think that has sort of carried forward to a certain degree in modern sports where people don't talk about the things that make them different uh, because they don't want to stand out. And, you know, this isn't necessarily the closest thing because it's not necessarily an identity. But look at the degree to which uh, Kyrie Irving has been maligned in the media for being a, f- a flat earth truther. <laughs> now, I think he probably deserves a lot of that uh, derision, but it's sort of been a big focus of, his, of who he is as a personality over the last couple you know, of years. It's interesting that being a flat earth truther is so maligned in the media, yet being a God created the heavens and the earth truther, not so much. Well, I think it's okay as long as you're not different. And that's what it always comes down to. That's right. So, you know, even though uh, the Patriots quarter, uh, Patriots owner, Bob Kraft, is Jewish, uh, and we can talk about Bob Kraft's uh, predilections, extracurricular activities, <laughs> perhaps on another podcast, but uh, we don't really talk about the Jews in sports necessarily. So, uh, you know, I think that's an interesting thing and, and something we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to the degree to which people embrace it and not. And and it's not that everybody has to be something that they're not or represent something that they don't really feel. But uh, I think we want to keep in mind how, how people embrace their Judaism and how they represent that to the outside world. Absolutely. I uh, Football is an interesting example about Julian Edelman is he's known very much as a big game player and a big effort player, and he rises to the occasion in important times. And you look at a very famous story of Sandy Koufax, one of the Jewish heroes, refusing to pitch in the World Series because he had to go to shul. He did it 50 years ago, but Jewish kids still talk about it. Jewish kids still talk about it now, even though it was 50 years ago, as if it happened yesterday. And you wonder, with football only being 16 weeks a year, you know, would Julian Edelman or any Jewish player consider not playing football on uh, Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah? I think it would be unthinkable. That Football Sunday is its own version of church, and any religion beyond that, aside from Christianity, it, they, they play on Christmas. Uh, they would play on Easter, I'm sure, if it came up. I think there is an idea that uh, permeates professional sports of like giving up something for the team. And I think that's part of what we love about team sports is that you know we see these people become more than just individuals. A wide receiver on his own isn't going to do much without a quarterback to throw it to him. I mean, look at uh, Odell Beckham, who just had to get traded from the Giants because uh, they didn't have someone to throw to him who was worth a damn anymore. So, you know, I think that there's an idea of sacrifice in a different way that uh, means, you know, you don't take Yom Kippur off, you don't take Saturdays or Sundays off, whatever it is. Yep. And, and since Sandy Koufax, I think we haven't really seen a professional athlete say, I'm not going to play on Yom Kippur. Uh, as you recall, a couple years ago when the Toronto Blue Jays were in the playoffs, Kevin Pillar did play on, on Yontif. And uh, I think he actually always has a good game on Yontif. He does. Always kills it on Yontif. Yeah. So maybe there's a little spirit that's that's helping him helping him ride through. Uh, though I actually have looked it up once. Uh, Kevin Euclid, another notable Jewish baseball player who's playing for the Chicago White Sox at the time, they changed the time of the game to be after sundown as he was fasting all day and wasn't able to play. He was their starting first baseman at the time. It was originally scheduled to be a late summer afternoon game, and they moved it to 8 p.m. so he would be able to play. Well, that's great. And, you know, it's nice to see teams uh, try to do their best to be inclusive. Uh, I guess religion has been the one one way in that, in, in that 
one way that that has been tested recently. Uh, there's probably other ways that we haven't thought about yet that, that continue to be challenges in the future. Um, but let's talk about, it's a good time talking about two Jewish Kevins to segue a little bit and talk about uh, the upcoming baseball season. That's right. Uh, as we record, it's March 20th, the first day of spring or not. I'm not sure. I believe it was changed in 1981. It is the 20th. Okay. So daylight savings time is behind us. It's the first day of spring. Uh, this morning, uh, or actually tomorrow night time in Japan, I'm not sure, uh, the Oakland Athletics and the Seattle Mariners kicked off the Major League Baseball season, and the rest of the league is going to get into opening day next week. Let's have a little chat about Jews and baseball. Baseball, I think, for the last certainly 60, 70 years since World War II has probably been the sport that I think most identifies with having Jewish athletes and uh, Jews who have been prominent parts of the sport. I think so. We mentioned Hank Greenberg. We mentioned Sandy Koufax, Kevin Euclid, Kevin Pillar uh, of late, and uh, notably Alex Bregman, who just signed a one of the largest contracts for a player his age in baseball history. Right. Alex Bregman signed a deal to give up his arbitration years. In exchange his future for, right to negotiate. That's right. In exchange for $100 million. And it should be. it's very interesting that Alex Bregman comes from a baseball family. You know, his grandfather... Uh, in a previous generation, uh, well, he didn't play for the Washington Senators, but he was a lawyer involved with helping <laughs> the Washington Senators relocate to the te- to Texas. So you know, he did something. He did something involved baseball. He was your previous doctor's uh, physical therapist or psychologist lawyer class. That's right. Jewish he went. He went to law school and worked on the deal to send them to to Texas so that his grandson could could live <laughs> live the dream of playing ball as an adult in Texas. Well, yeah. Not too far from uh, where the Senators were sent. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the ALS is a good jumping off point because a, a very Jewish uh, division by managers, both Bob Melvin. Uh, of the Oakland the, Athletics. And uh, Brad Osmus. Of the uh, Los Angeles Angels. Of Anaheim. Of Anaheim. Uh, maybe not anymore. Actually, they might just be I the think, LA Angels now. I think if they're the LA Angels, it's a good reminder that means the, the Angels Angels. That's right. Uh, but Brad Osmus, previously of the Detroit Tigers and Team Israel Baseball, now managing the LA Angels, who uh, recently locked up Mike Trout for the next 12 years. Uh, Mike Trout, some of our listeners would be very interested to know, uh, not Jewish. As a Jewish manager, we presume. We presume. And uh, Trout, however, you know, a classic ingredient in Gefiltovich. So there's some connection there. Absolutely. Although yeah. I think, as we were talking before we turned on the recording, Brad Osmus might be the single jewish uh los angeles angels fan that's right i think jews tend to be dodgers fans we all imagine it's game seven of the world series last year sitting behind home plate you've got your larry king and your mary hart uh, and your lou adler some jewish uh entertainment legends just right behind home plate there enjoying the game yeah i think the only jewish angels fan might have been uh joseph gordon levitt in the movie angels in the outfield that's right i i think he's jewish right I, I would presume so. Yeah. In the movie Ed, where uh, Matt LeBlanc teaches a chimp to play baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Is he Jewish? Matt LeBlanc? Yeah. Joey? Joey? I don't think so. Our producer is signaling to us that he is most definitely not Jewish. But no word on Joseph Gordon-Levitt yet, so we'll get, <laughs> we'll get back to you on that. Levitt? You know, sounds pretty Jewish. Yeah, if his name was just Gordon-Levitt or Joseph-Levitt... It would be much more easy to believe. Has he played a Jew in any of his movies or television shows? I think Third Rock on the Sun, canonically, they're some sort of alien. Is is that a metaphor, though? Could be a metaphor for Jews coming to town. It uh, could uh, be a metaphor. Post-Holocaust. Absolutely. 
you know, uh, John Lithgow, French Stewart, uh, the woman whose name I'm blanking on. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Why not? They're they're new to the suburbs. Yeah. They're they're living the American dream, but really they have a, an identity that they have to hide in order to assimilate. Not unlike these Jewish baseball players we're speaking of earlier. That's right. Um, and you know, some of these Jewish baseball players are baseball players who are, we were identifying as Jewish uh, might not necessarily be the most religious. Uh, a lot of them are half Jewish. One parent is and one parent isn't. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's interesting the degree to which the Jewish community we've experienced embraced these guys. So yep. Ryan Braun, I think, uh, someone who has always been He's tagged. Jewish, is he not? I believe only his father is Jewish. Interesting. Now, like I, Julian Edelman, his father is only Jewish. That's right. So I think something that we should establish early on in this podcast is that we are embracing a, a very wide uh, identity in terms of what Jewish is. Yep. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about people who aren't probably that Jewish or don't necessarily identify as Jewish. But, you know, I think we're uh, as much as we're here to celebrate Jews in sports, we're also acknowledging that we might be drawing from a relatively shallow pool and that we need to embrace as many as possible yes. here. I think it's a uh, uh, inherent contradiction in Judaism where, uh, you know, when Julian Edelman does something great, he wins Super Bowl MVP, he's Jewish. He's a source of Jewish pride. But when the Patriots uh, or another football team were to cheat or do something unlikable— Go to then, a rub and tug, for example. Go to, exactly. Then, well, he's got a Christian mother. That's right. It's patrilineal. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Robert Kraft uh, is a shunned uh, as soon as he gets caught on videotape. Exactly. Uh, human trafficking. That's right. Well, maybe not human trafficking. Fine. Um, um, paying a human trafficker for a hand job. So they settle. <laughs> so they say that they're going to plead out the case, which makes sense. I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, Florida criminal law and, and what kind of misdemeanor this is, but uh, I don't think I don't see Kraft going to jail in this situation. No, me neither. I mean, uh, I think they're going to do everything they can to suppress the evidence because they don't want <laughs> the no. NFL does not want footage of the <laughs> I'm going to say what 78 year old owner mid 80s yeah of the New England Patriots receiving a uh, uh, hand job. Can we say that on the on the radio? I don't know. Uh, I'm getting a real a big nod from my producer here. He's, he's yes. saying yes. Um, so is there is there a Yiddish word for hand job we can start using? <laughs> I think we'll have to come up getting with one. getting a, a shtickle of love from oh, uh, from somebody he's hired. Uh, anyways, let's get off of Bob Kraft. Uh, I'm sure he's done that already <laughs> for, for all of us. Uh, and back to baseball. I mean, uh, as we talked about, Ryan Braun uh, always, I think, has been picked by the Jewish community as a Jewish yep. baseball player. I think that's also true of Kevin Pillar, who I think is also half Jewish. Or he was bar mitzvahed Kevin Pillar. Okay, well, we might have to fact check that because yeah. I'm not certain. Um, now, we are both Toronto boys and yeah. Blue Jays fans. Uh, nice to know that we have two Jewish players this year in all likelihood. Uh, not on the roster yet, but Rowdy Telez, uh, right. who made a great debut last year. A matrilineal Jew. That's right. Um, it was a big story last year. His mother yeah. died of cancer shortly before his uh, debut. Excuse me. And uh, he had a really nice September Seeming like he's probably block, blocked at this point by uh, Kendris Morales and Justin Smoke. Non-Jews, unfortunately. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, Kendris Morales, Cuban. I sort of feel like all Cubans are a little Jewish. Yeah. You know? Like, you never know. And I feel like the more and more... Uh, Castro uh, believes he was a crypto Jew. Yeah. Like, more and more, I feel like there's well, pub publicly uh, public uh, Latin people who are sort of 
embracing some sort of past Sephardic tradition. Yep. Uh, which is like, again, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. Like, you know, even like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez like says that she has some Sephardic background back there somewhere. Yeah. Eh, fine. Like, you know, I don't have a problem with this. Who cares? Like, somebody, <laughs> you know, we, we spent all, we spent 5,000 years people trying to disassociate from us. If there's the occasional moment when somebody wants to claim some Judaism, like, look, you and I have both read the Wikipedia page, What is a Jew? And uh, <laughs> tried to understand all the details of that. I'm pretty sure I went to 10 years of Hebrew school and, and have some idea of what that what it means to be Jewish. But I wouldn't say I figured it out entirely. Right. Uh, and I wouldn't say it's 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 up to me or anybody else to decide what's a Jew or not a Jew. I mean, we're going to be doing that for the sake of this podcast. A whole lot of it. Yeah. But uh, just to, to reiterate our rule, our, our net is fairly wide over who is a Jew. We could possibly uh, uh, go back and forth and quiz each other for a little bit now, for example. Sure. Tennis superstar Denis Shapovalov. Absolutely a Jew. Uh, he wears a cross. Doesn't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> is he a Jew for Jesus? Uh, no, he's a Jew for Jew. Uh, you know, he is as tall and blonde a Jew as we get. Uh, and but and he also plays a, a sport probably not necessarily associated with Jews. Uh, a little bit more at the country club set. But absolutely Jewish. So uh, Absolutely Jewish. His mother... Uh, is a Russian Jew. Uh, his father, I think, is Greek He's, Orthodox. But uh, they met in Israel. No, they met. I think oh, in, somewhere he in was the Soviet born Union. in Israel. He's a Tel Avivite. That's right, a Tel Avivian. So they met in the Soviet Union. He moved. They moved moved to Israel. Uh, he was born in Tel Aviv. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what, what what the father's situation was in terms of. Uh, his upbringing, but I think he identifies both, you know, as Christian and Jewish, probably. Yep. But he's Israeli. He's Jewish. His mother is Jewish. He grew up in uh, he grew up in Thornhill. Uh, I a notably Jewish suburb of our home city of yeah. Toronto. My wife is related to his former dentist. Wow. So that's something, you know. <laughs> if that doesn't mean he's Jewish, then I don't know what does. Do we know someone who's related to his current dentist? Because maybe their husband could be on the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to look into that. <laughs> I, I take that back. He might still be his his dentist. His Toronto dentist. His Toronto dentist or his Thornhill dentist. Right. Um, so I have met that man and uh, he's Jewish. So, you know. It's something. It's, it's something. It's, he did not find the message of the Goy's teeth in That's right. Shapovalov is what you're saying. Yeah. Good deep cut uh, simple man reference. Yes. Uh, uh, no. Um, serious man. Serious man. Simple man is the gay one with Colin Firth. I don't think it was. No, you're right. It was That's Colin a single Firth. man. That's a single, a single man. man. The simple man is the one from Passover who knows not, doesn't know how to ask the question. That's right. That's right. And 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 haven't we proved ourselves to be a little bit of that? <laughs> Which of the, the uh, night of the four of the four sons in the Passover story? Who would you say you identify with? Um, I think it's the simple one who does not yet know how to ask. Given that, I would always beg off of having to ask the four questions. Oh, that's nice. You know, as a child, they give it to the youngest kid, and I was the youngest kid for many years in my family. Uh, before another cousin's cousins were spawned and i i would i would just refuse you know i gotta say i identified with the wicked son interesting uh, you know he gets a lot of shit in the Haggadah story or in the yep. Haggadah about like he he's not going to be saved because he doesn't realize uh you know he was he he should identify with the jews who left egypt but, you know like it's a pretty old-fashioned way of looking about things i feel like as a religion and as a people we're really supposed to be about questioning everything so the fact that this one character who says uh why should i why should i care about this that he gets so cast aside it never really sat right with me interesting so we were previously talking about denis shapovalov uh as we mentioned a 
uh, children, child of a Soviet Jew born in Israel and is he emblematic of a future generation of Jewish athletes, uh, you know, the children of immigrants who are sort of pushed towards something, something big. Yep. Uh, we look in, uh, we look towards sort of the Jewish immigration culture and the diaspora Jewish. We are a diaspora people. We look at the jazz, diaspora Jewish focus on education and success. And perhaps in this generation of your first, second generation uh, diaspora Jews coming to North America and masses for the first time, are they going to extend that belief and that, that focus on training that has turned them so many into doctors, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera? Um, will that translate to, oh, uh, uh, you know, in, into professional athletics? That, so, for example, does... If Denis Shapovalov has, you know, a sibling, does he get introduced with, you should meet my other son, the doctor? All right. An old joke, certainly, but uh, an understandable one. And I think it helps us understand uh, the way Jews approach sports and probably have uh, for, for, you know, the last century or so. Uh, We can look back at the sort of earliest big Jewish athletes in North America who are absolutely boxers. And boxers at the time and really at all times since then in North America have often come from the sort of underclasses of society. Absolutely. From immigrants. Uh, you know, there were great Irish and Italian boxers for years. Uh, after the, the Great Migration, there, there are a lot of black boxers from inner cities that, that came up in the 70s and 80s. Though notably so, Barney Ross, one of the greatest boxers of all time, by the time he was world champion, his mother didn't know what he did for a living. She wow. found out he was a boxer when he brought home the belt. Wow. Uh, to the tenement in which he was still living with her. So I think that gives us a an angle for a lot of Jews, how a lot of Jews got into sports, and, and often in sort of an individual sport, that it's sort of the, the grinder, the hustler, the person who's trying to get right. out of the ghetto by accomplishing something great. And we have seen that. And, you know, not to extend the metaphor too far, I think that is sort of applicable to immigrants to a certain degree who are coming from a tradition where they didn't necessarily have as much. They're coming to a land of prosperity. Uh, we see that in Canadian tennis, for example, where all the young stars, uh, Dennis and uh, Bianca. Um, Andrescu, the child of Romanian immigrants. That's right. Uh, Milos Raonic, a Balkan immigrant who grew up in Richmond Hill. Again, you know, sort of pushed towards this. Uh, it's not exclusively that. And obviously there's lots of professional athletes and the individual sports who come from tremendous wealth and privilege that allows them to do it. Uh, but I think that we see that sort of model in the in a lot of the individual sports, tennis, boxing, things like mm-hmm. that, uh, where it's someone who needs to grind. On, on the other hand, a lot of the most prominent Jewish athletes who are playing professional sports, North Americans, come from, you know, pretty stable middle class backgrounds. Uh, Although I think that's that's kind of sort of representative of the Jewish economic miracle of the last few years, the same way boxers from the tenements were the Jewish sporting stars of 70 years ago, even 50 years ago. Basketball was a Jewish sport because that's what you played, you know, in the inner city. Absolutely. And that's where they lived. And I made the joke before about, you know, uh, Alex Bregman's grandfather having to be a lawyer so that his grandson could play ball. But I think there's some truth to it. You know, that uh, when you're coming from a generation that has had some success uh, and, you know, we're talking about both pre- and post-war Jewish immigration to North America that has established itself. Certainly a very uh, well-to-do demogra- well, well-to-do uh, group of people demographically. Mm-hmm. You have the opportunity to have the children and grandchildren of those people uh, excel in team sports, which, after all, often require uh, a life in the suburbs. Certainly yep. baseball uh, and travel baseball requires life in the suburbs. It requires uh, parents often who can drive you around to different things to get to the highest levels. It yep. might even require some uh, coaching that costs money, uh, athletic ability, 
uh, is going to get you some of the way, but but part of it's going to come from what, your support system around you as well. Who is the time? Three hours every day? Absolutely. And you know we we've uh, observed over the last twenty years, is, and there's been a lot of discussion about this that there aren't a lot of African American Major League Baseball players anymore compared to what there used to be. And part of the reason that a lot of people have talked about is the need for uh, additional training and additional yep. coaching uh, that's not necessarily available to people who. Uh, are coming from backgrounds that, that don't necessarily have the fi- the financial ability to do those things. There are also many places in the inner city where there is no longer room or usage of a, of a, a regulation size baseball diamond. That's right. Um, so I think that it's not surprising that we're seeing, you know, these big athletes, these big Jewish athletes, also coming from you know these sort of wealthy families. I think uh, Zach Hyman's an example of that. You know, he grew up near us in Forest Hill. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I think he came from a family that was well enough to do. Uh, and, you know, that sort of, I think, probably gave him the ability to say, I'm going to take a chance on hockey. Yep. Uh, you know, another good example of that in the sports world, I, I remember hearing him talk about this, is Dan Schulman, uh, you know, who grew up around here uh, in a wealthy He's a, a, a Vaughn Thornhill uh, product. That's right. And, uh, you know, he talks about being given the freedom to, you know, ride three buses down to the exhi- exhibition stadium to watch the Jays. But he also is someone who went to Western University, and that's where he got into broadcasting. He studied to be an actuary, you know, a pretty stable job if ever there was one. Yep. But he decided to take a chance. But I think he had the Although freedom. he would have calculated exactly the risk he was taking in order to take that chance with that, his actuarial background. You would hope so. Uh, but he was, you know, he was afforded himself the ability to do that because I think he had the family and the support system behind him that that's gave right. him that opportunity. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it's unsurprising that we're going to see or I think that we can anticipate seeing more and more Jews who come up with the sort of familial support, financial support in some yep. ways, uh, good schools, things like that, that help them become pro athletes. Well, an interesting case, uh, it's interesting we talk about that an interesting case of a Jewish athlete who's been in the news lately as well is working towards the fight towards financial support for athletes is uh, Arizona Cardinals quarterback Josh Rosen. Right. Uh, he's subject of trade rumors of late. But uh, as the child of a, a well-to-do Los Angeles family, grew up in Los Angeles, played at private school his whole life, and went to UCLA, played at UCLA, and now he's in the NFL, he actually worked on a thesis at university to just publish and working with legal minds and financial minds to get built, which is a framework for the paying of college athletes. Well, if ever there's an argument for uh, labor organization among athletes, you're going to find some Jews behind it. Absolutely. If history has shown us anything. Uh, that and commissioners are like our bread and butter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Rosen's an interesting example as someone who, you know, really a prominent Jewish athlete, one of the biggest yep. uh, Jewish uh, prospects to come out of college football in a long time. Yep. Chosen Rosen, as he's called, uh, drafted by the Arizona Cardinals last he was year. Chosen. Chosen Rosen was chosen. That's right. Rosen was chosen by the Cardinals. Yep. It's uh, rare that a young Jew chooses to move to Phoenix, however. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just want to be where the good deli is. Yeah. Uh, Now there's a lot of trade rumors about where he might go. And in in discussing some of the trade rumors, there's this idea that, you know, is he going to get traded to the Jets? Uh, You know, your your beloved New York Jets, who I I don't remember the last time they had a good quarterback. I'm going to say Joe Namath. Uh, I mean, it was maybe. Yeah. So Testaverde, a hero to the New York Italian community. Of course. Uh, but there's this idea that maybe he'll get traded to a place that has a big Jewish fan base. Uh, I think the Cardinals, while there are plenty of Jews who live in the Phoenix area, the Cardinals don't really have a huge fan base locally altogether. No, they uh, don't. A lot of uh, St. Louis holdovers still from their days, and even Chicago people from the original 
Chicago Cardinals there uh, uh, generations later are, are remain fans of the Arizona team. That's right. And I think the, you know, the idea that he could get traded to a place like New York or Miami, also yep. looking for a quarterback and spend his whole career there would really mean something. And, you know, as we talked about before, uh, you and I have, have always sort of uh, idolized local Jewish sports heroes. It, it's a, it's a nice thing to be able to root for someone and have that extra added something. So, my question becomes then, and I think this is something worthy of debate and has been debated long before, do we put unfair expectations on our Jewish athletes to represent Judaism in terms of where they play? As we talked earlier, the uh, uh, holidays they follow, whether or not they publicly declare their Judaisms, we're all proud of Julian Edelman for doing, happy that Kevin Euclid chose, asked to move the game on Yom Kippur, Sandy Koufax's legendary story come to mind. Uh, but it obviously would be great if... Josh Rosen for the community played team with a big Jewish fan base. We say, oh, it's normal to wish, I, uh, you know, he should go to New York. That's great. Or right. he should go to Miami. That's right. great. But uh, uh, will we be disappointed and maybe somehow take it out on him if he doesn't get that opportunity? Say he gets traded to, I don't know, uh, Los Angeles. I'm kidding. That would be a great situation. But say he gets traded to Seattle. Okay. Not a very popular destination for Jewish people, or, or particularly the Pacific Northwest. Is it's, very, it's very rainy, I hear. Yeah, it's, a, it's very rainy. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think it's a good question. I mean, I think this always is what lots of things with representation come back to. At some point, you'd like there to be a, a Jewish uh, athlete who can just be an athlete. And the fact that he's Jewish is, is sort of irrelevant. And, and maybe that is the case already. Uh, but, you know, it is something that's talked about with Rosen, and I think it's reflected on how he has been described and how he has been thought of, of by professional football scouts and, and professional football writers. When yep. he was coming out of the draft, uh, or when he was about to be drafted, there was a lot of discussion about how he was too intelligent or too... Yep. Uh, too individualistic. Too cerebral. Yep. He was interested in things that weren't just football. Yep. And, uh, look, I don't think you have to necessarily say that was some sort of dog whistle, but there's a way to read that that says, you know, who is this guy and what and what does it mean that they're saying all these things about the one Jewish player in the draft? Absolutely. And and as we know, any identifiable minority who acts outside of the status quo or the expected behavior is likely to be doubly punished for it. Now, football is its own weird example because they want, you know, robots who can hit and throw and do not much else. Uh, yep. But it would be interesting to see how he is how he is embraced or not by a community that has more experience with Jews on a personal level. So we are talking about somewhere like New York or Miami. Yep. Uh, you know, I can't really think of the last big Jewish athlete to play in New York. Um, I mean, there's there's a long history of uh, notable Italian athletes to pitch in, to play in New York. I think pitcher Andy Pettit. Sure. Or uh, um, Jason Giambi, another member of the mid-90s right. New York and, Yankees. And, and look, there's been uh, New York Yankees who have been Puerto Rican and Dominican who've been incredibly embraced by yep. the local community. They play in the Bronx, after all, uh, which has a lot of Dominican yep. uh, pe people, a, a lot of Puerto It took Alex Rodriguez a long time, but he grew up less than a mile from Yankee Stadium. Right. And we've seen a city like New York, you know, definitely the biggest market, uh, most important sports market. And the largest but, Jewish community in the world. Yeah, really embrace different kinds of athletes. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens if he get if he does get traded to the Jets uh, or now, the Giants or the Giants. The Giants seem to be stuck with uh, Eli for some reason. Yes, uh, they but, tend to have a, a slightly less Jewish fan base, from my understanding, or at least they're the suburban Jews and the New Jersey Jews, whereas the New Yorkers themselves are uh, uh, Jet fans. It's similar to the Yankees Mets dichotomy. Traditionally, right. Italian people have liked the 
Yankees, whereas Latin American and uh, Jewish people have liked the Mets. Right. Of course, the New York Jets representing the more uh, urban population, what with their playing also in East Rutherford, New Jersey. That's right. But, yeah. you know, a Jet is, is an urbane thing to support. I've heard that when you're a Jet, uh, you're a Jet all the way from your first cigarette. To your last dying day. That's I've right. heard that, too. Yeah. So maybe we'll see if Rosen will... Uh, Get the get those sharks eventually, uh, or maybe you'll get traded to the Dolphins. I mean, again, I can't think of a big Jewish athlete who's had a presence in Miami. Um, certainly, I can't think of any Marlins or uh, or or Heat members of the Miami Heat who are Jewish. Absolutely uh, not. It's it's very it's very unlikely. It's Pat, very is Pat Riley Jewish. Pat Riley is definitely. Ooh, I don't know. He did play at Kansas for a man named Adolph. Yeah, his name's Riley. Riley's usually yeah. pretty Irish. He's like one of those like old Irish guys yeah, who's don't... really tan and looks like a Zadie. Yes. But like He's actually... a very wet man. Oh yeah. He's been very wet for a long time. Yep. Um I don't know if I can think of any other Miami sports heroes who are Jewish. Uh, Marino certainly had the hair for of a Jew, yes. but uh... Uh, Mickey Arison, notable real estate baron and Miami Heat owner. Yeah. Uh, though that's a class we don't necessarily need any more representation sure. in. I believe Jeffrey Loria is Jewish. Uh, not necessarily someone that we want to embrace, but I'm Agreed. pretty sure he is. The Fair owner enough. of the Florida and Miami, now Miami Marlins. Marlins. That's right. Uh, who also may have destroyed the Montreal Expos. Um, one day, one day on this podcast, hopefully we can get Jonah Carey on here to, to tell <laughs> us all about how that happened. To promote his book about the Montreal Expos. Sure, a book that came out seven years ago, but why not? Yep. Um, anyway, so, you know, it, it'd just be interesting to see a, a Jewish legend on one of these uh uh, on one of these in one of these cities that has a huge Jewish population, and see how that goes. Because you know, again, we were ta- the guys we've been talking about. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the Jews of Milwaukee are are happy that Ryan Braun's there. Yep. But I don't know how many of them there are. I'm pretty sure it's just Ryan Braun and Bud Selig. Right. And if there's not, you know, you don't remember. Obviously, he was a great pitcher and a Hall of Famer. But who knows how famous Sandy Koufax would have been uh, if, if he, he was pl- playing for St. Louis? If he played in St. Louis yeah. instead of playing in, bo- in both New York and L.A. Right. Uh, so I think that's a good place to leave it here for our first yep. week. We've talked a lot about different issues coming up. What, uh, what does it mean to be a Jewish athlete, Jewish identity in sports, and the expectations we put on Jewish athletes? That's right. And what it means to be a, a Jewish sports fan today. Uh, so let's wrap it up there. That just about does it for the Mench Warmers this week. Again, thanks to the CJN Podcast Network for having it. I'm Gabe. That's Jamie. Our producers, Alex and Michael, this week. We'll be back next week to talk about Gabe's adventures in Arizona and his embrace of his inner Zadie and his love of the game of golf. 